my god, it's music. Oh my god. My name is Hanifa Mutani and this is Nklapa Kandawire and today we are going to be discussing is marriage still relevant and yep. for that we have our favorite couple Uncle Errol and Auntie Paulette who are on top of a million business ventures still have the time to counsel couples as lost as us. <laughs> to try and learn as much as we possibly can. <laughs> Yeah, we're so grateful for you guys making this time to come and chat with us. Um, as Anifa mentioned, this conversation is more about us really wow. than anything else. So um, if somebody gets something from it, good on you, but this is we're really actually in the first selfish yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is therapy right now. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Plus, and I were actually just saying, you know, we feel like marriages that survive the past, like, Two, three years. Yeah. Those ones are cool because it yeah. seems like almost everyone we know their relationships are just like either hanging on by a thread or yeah. falling apart. Yeah, it was a crucible. It was a real crucible mm-hmm. those two years were. Yeah. Yeah. It was. And it, I suppose what it did was it tested everybody because, you know, we're all fine when we're functioning well, but when you're locked down together. Close proximity. You learn a lot. <laughs> You realize I'm not sure if I knew you like that because yeah. now it's up close and personal. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right, there is a lot of turmoil that's coming. That's true. So, have you guys picked that up with some of the couples that you have been counseling? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think, um, you know, people didn't realize the escape route to many of the relationships was the fact that they could be apart from one another mm-hmm. for a protracted period of time during the day, and suddenly now you discover that home doesn't necessarily give you the kind of space uh, that you require in order to function effectively. And now you've got to co-labor together and and manage that. And I think that's where a lot of friction Mm. and a lot of sort of issues began to emerge. And addressing those issues, especially since you've got nowhere to go, since you've got to stay in your house, then this is where stuff began to fall apart. Yeah. Mm. Sure, okay, but before we get into that, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we've got a little black box. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. So we just want you to pick out one of the questions okay. and then I'll answer them as honestly as possible. As possible. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, so this podcast is called 500 Shades of Grey. Okay. Oh, wow. All we right. don't have an expectation of just black and white answers. It's yeah. whatever shade of grey, yeah. black and white, yeah. that makes sense to you. Yeah. Okay. 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 All right. Read your question first, ladies right. first. <laughs> who inspires you and why? Hmm. I think that I am inspired by, I think what COVID has done is, so I've got my normal person, I could say, you know, I'm inspired by an Oprah or I'm inspired. I actually think I'm really inspired today by people who have come out of COVID and have come out with their truth. Mm. That's powerful. The truth has surfaced to the top. It was always present, but they couldn't quite put their hands on it. And right now I am meeting individuals and I'm so proud Mm. of just allowing the truth to come to the top and allowing it out because the truth comes to the top a lot a lot of the times but we redigest it that's true so 
I think right now I am inspired by ordinary and beautiful men and women who have survived. Mm. And the survival has said to them, I cannot remain the same. Mm. And who thought it would take so much courage mm. to face yourself, right? Mm. And to face your truth. Mm. I actually think that's the one thing if we're ever to do to equip our children to do. Yeah. It's to be able to face their yes. truth. Yes. Yeah. Right. Because I think a lot of the time we think our biggest challenges, our enemies are external. But no, 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 they're no. always internal. Yes, it's the war in your head. It's yeah, always. and in your heart, they're yeah. always internal. Yeah. And they're present, and yeah. it's far easier to manage your truth or your perceived enemy or your difference from afar, but when it's close and you have to be honest and that authentic honesty. Not knowing what comes after you surface that yeah. honesty mm-hmm. is really where I'm proud. And I think that those of us who have survived have said, I'm here for a reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if I made it, I would do a disservice to those who didn't make yeah. it to keep living the way they did. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Your <laughs> no, my question's real already. I mean, it's uh, straight off the bat. What was the most em- embarrassing moment in your life? Wow. I hope you guys can deal with it. This is real, right? This is real. So this would have been about 1996 um, or 1995, 96. Yeah. So you, obviously you now have democracy in South Africa. And uh, I was requested to participate in delivering some key transformational work with the integration of people of color and white folk and various colors coming together because the landscape was changing. So Coopers and Librand at the time had invited myself to do this along with an Afrikaans gentleman. I cannot remember his name, but it was a very seriously embarrassing moment for me. And I'm going to just share it. If that's yeah, okay, please, right? please. So, 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 so. Obviously, I had, you know, no stereotypical images of what an Afrikaner was, primarily because I didn't grow up in this country, yeah. so I didn't have the same experiences as most people. So obviously, when we met, he fit a particular stereotypical image, which he was tall, he, he was very big. When he shook my hands, my hands disappeared in <laughs> just the sheer size of him. But, but we, our goal was to go through the <clears throat> various provinces mm with this particular company to help people to begin to come to terms with the racial integration that needed to take place wow. within the higher stratas of the workplace. Um, now, now that was fine. There was no issue with that. And as each evening we came together, we'd share and talk. And at one point we were in Cape Town and um, I'll never forget, we were facilitating at the BMW Center in Cape Town. Mm. And um, that evening he said, where I'm going, Errol, um, I don't think you'd want to come. And so I said, okay, not a problem. Not sure of what he was saying. I didn't know what he meant. Um, and we continued and, and the next day, fine. And then we got back home. So we got, we flew back uh, to Johannesburg and uh, it was his turn because we'd, you know, decide who would drive from home to the airport. So it was his turn <clears throat> to drive me. So he's got a sort of a car which had a, two-door kind of coupe type car and so I sat in the back and he said listen I've got to pick up a friend of mine um, in in um, in um, 
Where's that place? Not far from the airport, okay, Kempton Park. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Kempton Park. And that's, he said, he said, you know, do you mind? I said, no, not a problem. I'm exhausted. I'm really tired. And so, you know, go for it. So as he's driving, I'm kind of falling asleep because I'm really, really tired. We've had a hectic week. And um, then he slows down. I feel the car slowing down. And what's interesting, he's picking up a black guy, right? Uh, but the difference was, is that this guy was really, really tall. It was, it was, wow, you know, because normally South African men aren't as tall, yeah. <laughs> right? But this guy was almost like a West African tall. Okay. And so, you know, we greeted each other, got in the car, and we turned around, started to head towards home. And so I'm falling asleep and so forth. And then um, it, it's, it's almost as if we kind of went over a bump and I kind of, my eyes kind of opened up. And, and this is 1996. You've got to understand the context, yeah. right? So I, I'm looking and I'm seeing his hand in the, 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 the steering, the, 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 the gear stick. They're both holding each other's hands, controlling the gear stick. Now, you need to understand. I mean, this is 1996. <laughs> Number one, it's an Africana, and I've never seen an Africana mm. in my life. So I'm going to pick up a black guy. Now they're holding hands as they're moving. <laughs> and then one of them's talking about, what are we eating for dinner tonight, darling? <laughs> now, now, I just step back for a minute. And the, uh, like I said, I'm not proud of this because you can understand why I was so embarrassed. So suddenly, you know, all sleep fled. <laughs> now I'm looking and these are two really big guys and I'm nowhere near the size of them. And, uh, you know... And you're in the back I'm of a little back of car. And we get home and he says, see you on Monday. And I go, okay. <laughs> and so Paula says to me, so how was your, how's your week? And I said, I'm disturbed, you know, disturbed. I said, why? Yeah. Brother stepped across the track, you know. <laughs> and I said, well, what do you, she said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, he's gay. And, and, and the other piece is that he's with a black guy. And I don't understand that. Because this was something really, really <laughs> new in the 19... I'm just being really I mean, honest. Yeah. I'm being really honest yeah. about this. This was, like, really weird for me. And, I, and, I, and, and, and then Paula says, okay, okay. And the problem was for me was that Monday was coming, right? <laughs> and Monday was coming and there was three months of this contract to consider. And I did not realize how my deeply seated beliefs mm. now became inhibitors right. to wanting to work with this individual. Oh, wow. That's and, 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 and I'll tell you why. Because what happened was I was trying to get myself psychosomatically ill mm. so that I could justify why we couldn't go for our next week together oh, wow. and it wasn't happening so mm -hmm. he was coming and Paul was saying what's the problem and I said no problem but I don't want to work with this guy mm. and Paul said well why and 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 and, and I said well I, I don't feel comfortable he says well does he do his job well yes does he deliver the goods yes is he professional in what he does yes she turned around and said to me well you've got an attitude yeah <laughs> the problem is your attitude mm. and that that was really hard for me because I didn't realize the extent of how my attitude now was inhibiting my ability to accomplish the goal with another human being mm. who did their job well. Yeah. Mm. And, and it, it didn't just stop there because 
as much as I heard Paul it and I wouldn't accept it, when we sort of now met each other, I wouldn't shake his hand and he couldn't understand why. And as we were driving in the car, I'd keep my face dead straight. I didn't want to look in his eyes. When we got to the airport and normally we booked the seats together, yeah. he'd book his piece. Then I'd look for another seat that I could sit. And, and, and all of that behavior was exhibiting inside me. I'm really, I was really embarrassed about yeah. the fact later that I could have done that to him yeah. because I didn't realize the extent of my bias. Exactly. I didn't understand how it was destroying our relationship at a professional level. Yeah. Who cares about his orientation? Yeah. That has nothing to do with, with the fact that he's a professional, what he does. Yeah. And it has forever lived with me. And I've told the story many times yeah. in demonstrating how, if we're not careful, our attitudes that we don't know exist mm. and you're setting a goal and moving towards something can become the impediment. And the problem isn't the goal. The problem is your attitude. Yeah. To change the attitude and you can accomplish the goal. Wow. wow. That's that's really 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 you know, I'm mixing in it. So profound. Well, I mean, I think it goes to our topic today, which... Wow. I mean, like what you mentioned, that it was your wife who brought it to your attention. Yeah. You know, your bias to your attention. And yeah. I think it really speaks to what we're here to chat about, which is, is marriage still relevant in the 21st century? Mm-hmm. And I think that right now in society, we don't know what is the value of marriage. Really. Why does it exist beyond the institutions that maybe we've been taught to understand marriage to to emanate from, right? Um, what is the value of this relationship and the commitment? Mm-hmm. As, in, as individuals, mostly I think that's really important, but also I guess for your children and your family and yeah. and for the greater community. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah, what the first question is, or shall we say maybe the point of discussion should maybe start from the place of why, what do you feel maybe has been one of your greatest gifts that you have experienced through marriage or what has been the greatest value that you've extracted from marriage or being married i can feel <laughs> i think you enter marriage selfish yeah true and you journey from selfishness to a place where you serve the other and that's what gives you great joy mm. wow because you enter marriage looking at what you can extract on the basis of compatibility and how the other can meet my need, which determines the choice. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the power of serving the other and seeing the joy from serving the other in an unconditional way that facilitates a reciprocation, not because you're looking for it, but because you just enjoy serving. And I'm the selfish one, and Paul loves to serve. And I had to learn service. And that's what's given me joy. Oh, beautiful. Oh, my God. Are you literally just... <laughs> we can close the podcast right now. I got my word already. About... Oh, my gosh. That is, that is so on point. Because I think just bringing back to why is marriage still relevant in the 21st century, we're taught right now to be so individualistic and to be so selfish. Right. It's all about... You know, it's my right. life. Am I happy? Am I? How are you serving me? Right. How is? How are you serving where I'm trying to go in life? Um, so to hear that it's really about pretty much dying to yourself. Mm. 
in in with the perspective that you want to just kind of give with the focus of wanting to serve and give life to this other person but i think you you know the point is i'm sure paula will speak for herself but you know if you think about the premise of marriage um why do we pursue it is because there's an innate desire and drive to not exist alone Mm. that's the starting premise we were not designed to be isolated. Mm-hmm. We were designed for compatibility and more. Mm-hmm. But our definitions of compatibility are contingent on, to your point, uh, I choose you because, damn, the sex was great. Yeah. Let's see if that can be repeated. Or you look amazing. Or you look amazing. I, you know, right. so, so or I feel amazing. amazing. So, so the starting premise for me is that most people marry a fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> and you wake up to the reality to the reality that it's love we say is not enough yeah right because by the time you stand at the altar i think they say that there are three versions of you at the altar there's the person that you are there's the person you think you are there's the person you want to be Mm -hmm. And then there's even the person that you think they are, you want them to be, and then that illusion gets shattered the minute you start to live with the person and you start to realize, wait a minute, you were serving me for a point to an end, but did you make a lifetime commitment to continue serving? Or was it to get us to the point of marriage, the point of commitment? And now that we have committed that, can we just get back to being who we really are? So what we're saying fundamentally is that the fundamental flaw is that marriage is the space of accelerated change. But we typically move into marriage on the basis of love me as I am, right? right? Um, Accept me as who I am and, and don't try to change me. And don't expect me to change. Yeah. Yet the very basis of marriage, which I think everyone wants, is to grow together. Yeah. Now, how can you grow together unless you change? Mm. But see, the problem with the change is that we want to change at a pace that suits ourselves. And that's cool. Yeah. Because after 34 years of being married and being 40 years together, what I have learned from a male perspective, so I'm not female, but yeah. I, from a male perspective, is that I, I, I saw that when, I, when Paula came to my life, I was like a densely populated city. In other words, I had my freeway at my house. I had everything set, okay. and she was being invited into my densely populated city, not realizing that her version of coming into my life was to deconstruct my densely populated city <laughs> and set up something that we could both live with. That was not the deal for me. Oh, wow. So I want to ask you, you said that love is not enough. What is enough? What's ideal? What do you need? What's the recipe for a successful marriage, if I can ask it like that? Is there such a thing? Is it different strokes for different folks? Like, what do you guys think? Well, when I say love is not enough, I'm talking about the feeling of euphoria. Mm-hmm. You know, you meet somebody and you just can't get over how they click. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this person is amazing. I can speak to you for hours. And you do. And you willingly give up 
everything about yourself because you just can't believe how much this person understands you. They get you. They have taken into account all of your preferences. How are you just describing me right now? <laughs> and it's tick, 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 tick. Yeah. They take you to the best restaurants. They plan. They take you on holiday. So you now build this persona that this person is so into you. They're all, but they're doing it because they themselves are feeding off the high. Yeah. Equally as you are. And so when you get into marriage and or relationship and what was hot is no longer new and fresh and bubbly, then really what comes to life is noise. Mm. And what you are craving is the feeling that brought you to this point. And that feeling doesn't always happen in marriage. <laughs> No, no, it may seem, it may seem that, wait a minute, if this is the case, why would we get married, right? Why would we get, if this is the case, why would we get married? But you see, the flip side of the coin, and this is the powerful piece about it, is that you are discovering and learning, learning about, about yourself, and each, each other. other. You're learning the mystery of who this person is mm -hmm. that you got involved with. And and, and that's where the, the beauty of the process lies. But is it work? Absolutely. Definitely. Some of the hardest work you will ever do. But it's life. transformative work. Yeah. Because the notion, and I come from obviously a Christian worldview. Yeah. So you know, others come from different worldview, yeah. but this is the worldview I have. Yeah. For two to become one takes a lifetime. Doesn't happen when we no, kiss. No, 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 no. <laughs> that's what we think. But That's the right. point being is that we're discovering and learning who is this stranger in my midst. Because I think for many people, they get to a place uh, in their relationship where they say, I don't know who you are anymore. Absolutely. Well, well yeah. guess what? You, you weren't meant to. You, you married a stranger. And you're living with a stranger that you are discovering and growing to discover and learn. And so it's not about the length of years that matters. It's how deep you go. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. And so to your point, there are times where I am not even the same person I was pre-COVID. Yeah. I've changed. We all have. We all have. Yeah. However, suppose I am still in love with the 2020 version of Elm. I'm going to be severely disappointed. Yeah. Because he's changed. I don't think he would want the 20 or the 22, 1999. But some people will not allow you to change, will not allow you to grow. And they want to hold you to the point of who you were. And they're saying, wait a minute, you're changing now. You're speaking up. You want different things. It's no longer okay for me to stay out. You're actually wanting friendship. But I've always been out. I've always been doing yeah. And you say, wait a minute, could we level up yeah. to the next stage of our lives? And remember, we cannot hold our spouses to a place that we don't want to grow in. And so it is giving, it's taking, it's but it's also communicating. Who am I now? Yeah. What do I want? What do we want? What do we even need right now? Because a lot of the times, people focus on the things of the marriage, mm. and they forget to focus on the man. 
So they focus on why we're driving, where we're living, mm. where we're working, where we're going on holiday. Great things. But is that your marriage? No, oh, it's not your marriage. It's not your marriage. So what is your marriage? Let me, let me give you my, my view. <clears throat> marriage is the repeated experience of open self-disclosure of core aspects of yourself in the presence of your partner that allows you to discover who they are and for them to discover who you are and love them as you see them, as they become more and more vulnerable in your presence. Many are fleeing marriages today because they can't deal with vulnerability. Mm. Wow. Yeah. How do you feel naked like and exposed of this? <laughs> Listen, you literally hit the nail on the head. And I'm just going to speak from my personal experience. I committed to going to therapy about a year ago. And I think the biggest part of it was that I needed to navigate that ability to be able to be vulnerable. Yeah. You know, I grew, well, I was born in 1990. So um, I know some of you guys are surprised, but yes, I am that young. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, I grew up with parents who were like first generation, straight from the village into Johannesburg North, trying to live the dream, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Mandela generation, yes. part of the first few groups of black people coming into white suburbs. Yeah. There just wasn't room to be anything but perfect yeah. and anything but excellent. Right. And anything but, because your weakness would almost confirm social perceptions about right. what you know, young, or what black people are like, or what, you know, those types of preconceptions. And so having to allow myself to experience or sit into my, sit in my feelings yeah. was such a big challenge for me, because it was like, show up, no matter what, you know. Um, my therapist actually said it's interesting, She what she finds interesting is that the moment my feelings, well, I get uh, to a certain level of vulnerability, I go into like an extremely logical space right. where it's just you know, yeah. this is let's deal with the facts. Yeah. There's yeah. no room for 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 emotions yeah. or for anything else. And I guess that's just my response to it. Yes. But what's interesting is that my life work will be what it is that you're talking about, which is being okay. able to sit in vulnerability. Yeah. Now, how much more with somebody else? That's right. So who is watching? Yeah, because I think, I think, you know, when I talk about vulnerability, I'm talking about it from the vantage point of not being found in a place of vulnerability, right. mm -hmm. but where someone then is taking advantage yeah. of you. Yes. Yeah. Nobody yeah. wants to be there. Yeah. I'm talking about the strength of vulnerability where you are openly willing to disclose core aspects of yourself mm. in the presence of your partner and you're taking the risk anyway for the greater gain that could be right. yours as a result of it. Mm. Because we don't mind physical vulnerability yeah. in the sense of, I see your body, I, you yeah. see my body. Yeah. But but marriage takes to, to another depth. In minds. But, but it's about the willingness not to disclose. And when I say disclose, it's not about shamefulness. Yeah. Yeah. But you see, it's about the depth of transparency of knowing one another is what then causes the the way in which you connect. Yeah. But but when we 
when there's just a surface level engagement. Right. It does, you don't, don't become three D. And sometimes is. we are fearful that if I reveal the truth about who I am, will you accept me? Will you love me if you know this? If you know yeah. this. And so what we can do is spend our time concealing as opposed to revealing. Because yeah. ultimately, we've built all of the systems around us, but have we built the infrastructure of safety, yeah. marital safety? Can I be 100% honest? And you still accept me. Yeah. And that, for me, is a far deeper love than any feeling because now we are mining into our relationship. Yeah. And that has power. Correct. And that has longevity, right. it has sustainability. Because we say, one of the things that we've said, obviously being married 34 years, mm-hmm. for me, I the pretense of having this wonderful anniversary and going from the point of your anniversary to the next and seeing somebody else celebrate their anniversary in a restaurant or whatever, obviously everybody's going to run up to you and say, congratulations, wow, you've made it. But for me, a lot can happen in a year and very little can happen. So true, so true. So we stopped celebrating the years because anybody can get to 10. Yeah. Anybody can get to two. Anybody can get to five. And we started asking ourselves, how old are we really? Mature from the from a maturity perspective. I'm not talking about a year passing and you celebrating me because I've hit 15 years or 10 years. Yeah. Or, who cares about the years? You and I know that we can have children who are developmentally not mature. Yeah. They age. And if you can have children, you can have a work experience where you've been there for five years, but developmentally, what have you done? Exactly. We started asking ourselves the hard question. And I think we were probably 19. And everybody's like, wow. And you're like, okay, how old are we really? I think we're six. I think we're six. Yeah, I think we're wow. five or six. I think we're six. So interestingly, interestingly <laughs> my therapist today was saying that within relationships, you're ultimately going to be playing out your subconscious programming that is that goes all the way to your childhood. So yeah. if you're feeling vulnerable or not loved and supported in the way that you needed when you were a child, you're bound to repeat those patterns yeah. within any other relationship yeah. that you try and create until you recognize that, you heal that trauma, and basically, you know... Um, Absolutely. Own your shit. Absolutely. 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 And to your point, we bring our childhood trauma into our marriage. Bring everything. And then our person says, I mean, I can even be telling you about my family. And I'm really telling you who I am. But you don't see me acting like my crazy. Until... You marry me and you're like, oh my gosh, you are just like what you've been talking about. Now, how do I free myself? Especially if I potentially am looking down at Errol and saying, your life is crazy. Yeah. But do I own my crazy? Yeah. Oh gosh, yeah, I love that. So what would be, like if you were to give your children advice on whether they should get married or not, right? 
what would your advice be? Would you encourage him to get married or would you not? And if you would encourage him to get married, what would your you know, reasons be? If you would encourage him to not get married, what would your reasons be? Our, our children are pursuing marriage and one's married already. Okay. Um, I think that the drive for our children and one to desire marriage is contingent on what they see mm. in marriage. Mm. And the closest proximity we'll ever get to that is exactly. ourselves. Is us. True. Right? That's the first thing. So if I'm going to encourage them to get married, uh, which I didn't have to, um, it was more on the basis of understand that this is a journey. It's about journeying together. Mm. It's not about, as Paul has said, about the emotion of the moment and how you feel about the person. It's about journeying. Now, what does journeying mean? Journeying means allowing yourself to be discovered and allowing and checking out whether the other person will allow themselves to be discovered. Mm. Understand that what you're, who you're marrying is a fantasy of your imagination right but if you stick in it and you work through it you will discover the most amazing treasure that lies in the earth but it's contingent on whether you're prepared to journey because most folk especially the new generation like okay once it's not working out I'm out and some people turn around and say, well, no, you all folk, right? You know, you stuck it out and struggled it out. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I don't need that in my life. Yeah. We call that the biggest in a generation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we don't subscribe to that. No. <laughs> the sticking, the sticking it out no matter what. <laughs> but you see, and that's why we, Paul and I struggle with the idea of ride or die. Yeah. Because I'm saying, what, ride or die? You're ready to cancel at the moment, at the the first notice, second notice. And Paul and I have had struggles, deep struggles. But we look back and see how those struggles, based upon the decision to work it through, have made us stronger as a result of working it through. Were there moments we thought, not going to make this one? Absolutely. Absolutely. Not going to make this one. We are going to make it. Um, And yet, you know, I used to, when I was younger, think that there was an ideal mate. Yeah. There was your soulmate. And I must be honest, I don't believe in that. Yeah. There's no such thing as a soulmate. And any person that you are drawn to, your bent, your leaning, there are at least 20 that could fit the profile of who you're looking for. Right? So there's never one. Because yeah. also when you think there's only one, I mean, that's a hard search throughout your whole life. <laughs> there's one person. It does seem a bit like the There are at least 20 options, and I'm sure there's even more permutations of the 20. Oh, wow. Right? However, everybody comes with baggage. There is no leave perfection. Really? Even Acha? 
I don't know about that. I really believe that. Something tells me in my guts. <laughs> so leave perfection at the door. And I really believe that it is about the pliability of both people. Because you are going to get to a point where you believe you can't do this. Mm. Right? And we're going to take out that there are scenarios and circumstance that, that should, nobody should, should be in and you yeah. should get it. at any time. Exactly. So I'm not saying be in this to the end no matter what. Yeah, no. Yeah. There are situations and circumstances that you have no business being in. Yeah. And the minute you realize that, don't stay in that. Yeah. Because it's not healthy, it's not good, and it is not what the foundations of good marriage is built on. But I equally want to say there that even people who have a commitment, and for us, you know, one of the commitments is potentially, uh, what was it we said, putting uh, our teeth in a glass together at the end. Still exist in what 30 years, maybe they'll be permanent retainers, who knows, right? But basically, it's, it's making the commitment to, yeah. to grow. There are times where we have to check ourselves mm -hmm. and realize maybe we're too busy, maybe we're not finding and giving our marriage the, the air it needs, like a fire it needs to keep burning. Mm -hmm. And if it isn't burning, there are reasons. Yeah. And sometimes you've got to slow down. Yeah got to say wait a minute i'm defocused yeah. let me make this work but we realized that getting to 34 has been a decision it's been hard work but it's also been amazing yeah we've grown we've loved the process and we wish that for our children we yeah. wish that for people around us and i think at the core of this is Demonstrate, and this is a hard one. What 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 women want um, is unconditional love. Now, we're just gonna take that chip, just uh, yeah, yeah. that we're gonna just know yeah. and we're just gonna take that part of what you said and put it up. Because it and it's the unconditionality of it because yeah. Tend to start off unconditionally yeah, and then become conditional. Very conditional. That's so true. Um, and you know, you heard it said a man's love language is unconditional respect. Yeah. And there's a virtuous cycle in that, but the crazy cycle hits when she doesn't feel loved. Yeah. She then enters into the need to connect, to resolve the fact that she's not feeling love. But the way sometimes Paulette has approached me in trying to close the gap comes across to me as disrespectful. Now, when I experience the disrespect, my, my nature is to go to Builders Warehouse, basically metaphorically, get as much bricks as possible and build it fast so that she can Speak as much as she wants, but I can't see her Same and I can't hear her. So I build.
build it almost what men do is stonewall yeah. right and that stonewalling actually is saying i don't appreciate the way you're speaking to me but it comes across as unloving and the more unloving i come across the more disrespectful and this creates a crazy cycle and some folks have been on a crazy cycle of feeling unloved feeling disrespected and they've taken up long-term leases in that space which then causes a cycle that's not good and, and so the only way off that is that someone's got to be big enough to give to the other what the other you feel doesn't deserve but you give them that serving and that is not the easiest thing to do, but is this the way to begin the journey of really understanding what we really need here. And what we're needing is this need for knowing that I'm not here to simply extract what I can get in order to make me feel good, but rather what does my partner need and bend my all to meet that because I believe that in so do, in time, I get what I want. But I want to throw this question to you. There's compromise, and then there's overcompromise. Right. To the point at which you almost start to lose yourself, right? Yep. And I feel like that's a very slippery slope. It's like that fine line of tipsy and drunk. You don't see it when you're tipsy. You know what I'm saying? Can you, can you guide me through that a little? Yeah, you weren't born together and you weren't born at the hip together and you are individuals still in marriage yeah. with an identity that should exist. It's expected to be married. The fact that Absolutely. you're Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so doesn't remove who you are. Right. Now, this is where you can get into the danger of codependency yeah. and some of those factors then that one loses oneself into the value, their value is linked to the other to such an extent that that's where the compromise takes place. Mm. And this stems, in my mind, from how we were brought up. Hey guys, if you're hearing this message, that means you've listened to the entire episode and we thank you for that and really hope that you enjoyed it or learned something interesting or felt inspired. And yeah, remember to like, share and subscribe to the 500 Shades of Grey channel. Awesome.